What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. Super grateful that you have joined us for our online service. Before we get started for today, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, please give us eyes to see your words to us. Give us ears to hear and give us a heart to receive whatever you want to tell us in this moment. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the not so widely known facts about the Bible is that it was never really meant to be read in small chunks. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you were to read through a book of the Bible, you probably wouldn't memorize a whole lot of it. But the point of reading the Bible is not to just memorize bite-sized versions of scriptures. It's to get lost in it. Nobody goes to a concert or nobody... Uh, watches a play or a musical just so they can memorize small bits of it. Certainly, if you listen to an album long enough, you will memorize it, but the point is to get lost in it. Now, one of the beauties about scripture is that if you were to pick up a gospel, for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the accounts of Jesus's life, and if you were to, to read it through from beginning to end, one, it would probably take you about a half an hour to 45 minutes, but two, you would start to pick up on things that you would never notice if you just read it in bite-sized portions. One of the things that I've noticed in reading through a gospel is just how much prayer was a central part of Jesus's life. That it's impossible to tell Jesus's story without talking about prayer almost at every turn. There were some moments in Jesus's life where really nothing was happening and scripture would just say that he would get up early in the morning and go pray. Other times, Jesus had just come off of some amazing experience. One of my favorite stories is about a man who was a leper, and lepers were the outcasts of society. They were uh, afflicted with a contagious disease that made them lose sensation, and they were the outcasts of society. And there's a passage of scripture where Jesus encounters this man who has leprosy, after he has been kicked out of society and he comes to Jesus and says, Master, please have mercy on me. Jesus does the unthinkable. He doesn't just uh, speak a word of healing to this man. He goes to this man and he touches him and he heals him. And after the crowd see all that Jesus had done, scripture says Jesus left and he went to go pray. Other times it wasn't in mundane moments or in exciting moments. Other times, it was in the excruciating moments of Jesus's life where, again, you find him praying. One of these occurrences happens in something called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus was praying before he was about to be crucified. He goes to his disciples and says, would you stay awake and pray with me just for this hour? And scripture records the thoughts and the words of Jesus as he is praying his heart out to his father. Now, whether it is in mundane moments where nothing seems to be happening, if it's in exciting moments where Jesus does the unthinkable and the uh, really exciting uh, thing that we see in scripture, or if it's in the painful moments of his life, over and over again, you see that prayer was a central part of Jesus's life, that you cannot tell his story without including prayer. Now, on one hand, that is very convicting because if you were to follow me around for however many months or a year, I would hope that prayer would become a, a central theme to my life, but oftentimes I have found myself wanting to be more prone to action than I am to prayer, as if prayer is inaction. Uh, other times in my life, I, I've read these words of Jesus and I've just been so compelled to think through that if there was something about prayer that 
comforted, uh, challenged, and, and equipped, and uh, nurtured Jesus in every single moment of his life, if it was something that Jesus felt to be necessary, how much more do you and I need it? Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Savior, if, if he thought prayer was vital to his life, how much more do you and I need it? Now, over the last number of weeks, we've talked about being a people of justice, and my fear for myself, as well as my fear for you, is that we would be trying to be a people of justice that would almost leave God out of it, that prayer would not be the thing that centers us, that encourages us, that equips us, that nourishes us, that challenges us, that comforts us in every single season of our lives. And right now, more than anything, we need to focus in on being a people of prayer. Now, what's different about us than Jesus is we are not perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we are at least what the Bible calls four things. We are fallen, uh, we are finite, we are fragile, and we are faltering. Let me say that again. We're fallen, meaning that um, we are not perfect. So runners run, painters paint, sinners, we sin. You never need to teach a child how to be selfish or how to lie. It just comes naturally to us. Now, to say that we are sinners or that we, we are fallen people means that we have inherited in our very bones this sinful condition and that we will never be perfect. I can't think of one day in my life where it was uh, as good as it could possibly be. Uh, maybe I've had an hour or a couple of minutes where I really felt like I was doing the right thing all the time, but I, I can't think of one single day in my life that I could not have done better. Scripture tells us that that is due to our fallen condition. Now, we're not just fallen, we are also finite. It means that we, there are limits on our knowledge, on our experience, on our power, on our ability, because we are finite beings. We cannot speak things into existence. Uh, we are not God. One of the things I laugh about now is a couple of weeks before this pandemic happened, I was with some friends and we, we got a little Airbnb house. We were all together, all talking about our plans for this summer and the spring. And me and Jess were talking about all our plans for our trip to Korea that we were supposed to take right after Easter. And man, you couldn't have told me uh, that anything would get in the way of this trip happening to go to Korea. But of course, the pandemic happened and all of our trips got canceled. What does this tell me about me? And what does this tell me about you? All of us are finite. We have a limit to what we can predict, to what we know. And certainly this pandemic is proof of that. So we're fallen, we're finite, and not just that, we are also fragile. Fragile meaning that we are susceptible to this world and the fallen nature of this world impacting us and hurting us. One of the things that I felt probably the most in the last number of weeks, certainly since this surge of racial injustice has come to the surface for so many, is just how damaging racism and other things are in this world. And as much as I would like to be immune to it, I'm not. A lot of nights when I'm giving my sons a bath and I'm praying over them at night, I just feel exposed and vulnerable that I can't protect them. And why is that? It's because I'm fragile. I am not in, con in control of this world. I cannot determine how things work for my life. I am, I am susceptible to being hurt and harmed by this world. So I'm fallen, I'm finite, I'm fragile, and here's the worst thing about me that also might be true about you is I'm faltering, meaning that there are things that I say I wanna do that I, I just don't do. There are things I say that I don't wanna do that I end up doing. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 7, 
where he talks about this, this inclination that we have, that we, we say we want to do good things and we end up not, not doing them. Uh, it's because we are faltering. Now, here's why prayer is so vital for us fallen, finite, fragile, and faltering people. Prayer is so important is because prayer is the place where my fallen nature is redirected, where my finite nature is informed, where my fragile nature is healed, and where my faltering nature is accepted. Prayer is the place where my fallen nature is redirected, my finite nature is informed. God uh, speaks to us and, and lets us know. He gives us light for the path ahead, um, where my fragile nature is healed, where God heals us in prayer, and where my faltering nature, uh, as fickle of a person as I am, where I find acceptance from God. So prayer is, is a vital part for us, and I, I do not want, want us to neglect the work and the blessing of what it means to be centered, guided, redirected, encouraged by prayer. Now, there are a lot of ways that you and I can pray, uh, but I want to direct our attention today to a model of prayer that Jesus introduced to his disciples. Now, this is one way to pray. Uh, this is certainly not the only way to pray, but this is something that I want us to pay attention to uh, this week and in, in the upcoming weeks as a model for us to center ourselves in prayer. Jesus inter introduces this prayer in Matthew, and uh, it was... Uh, it goes like this. If you've grown up going to church or Sunday school or, um, or Catholic school, you would have heard this prayer many times. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we could easily spend an entire sermon series talking about this prayer, and we have in the past, breaking it down line for line. But for the rest of today, I just want us to look at each line of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And I hope it's something that comforts us, encourages us, and equips us and guides us as we continue to move forward, becoming people of, of justice. Now, the prayer starts off with a line that is difficult for some people to get, and it starts off by saying, Our Father. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he wasn't saying that God is like your father. He was saying God is like the perfect father. Many people who have had either abusive or uh, distant fathers struggle to even pray these words because you're likening God to, to your father when the opposite should be happening. Uh, the standard of what God is is so far and high above what any of us have experienced, any of us even who've had, uh, who ha who've had and have good fathers uh, in this world. So Jesus says, our father. And why does Jesus start the prayer like this? Because Jesus is trying to make a huge difference between a business transactional relationship with God versus a familial relationship with God. Jesus starts this prayer by saying our father because he wants us to understand that your relationship with God is not a business transaction relationship with God. It is a familial relationship with God. A business relationship is always that I have something for you, right? So in a business transaction, we would say, I have something for you. Your landlord has an apartment for you. You have rent for your landlord. So that's a business relationship. 
I have something for you. A family relationship is that I am something to you. And here's what Jesus is saying. When we start our prayer, we need to be centered that when we come to God, it is not based on what we have done for God, but rather who we are to God. Now, a lot of Christians uh, who have read the Bible and know these different things, we are still susceptible to believing that the basis of our relationship is based on how much good we do. And that's one of the biggest dangers that turns us into self-righteous Pharisees. When you start by praying, you are something to God, not what you are bringing for God. Uh, it is not that we have earned our relationship with God. It is much bigger and better than that. And this is these are the words that center our prayer. When we come to God, we are saying that I am something to you, not that I have something for you. Now, this is really important as we understand even this concept of justice, because if you are basing your acceptance in, uh, in coming to God based on how much you have done, then you're also going to treat other people the same way. You're going to start to believe that other people's acceptance to God is based on how much they have done, not simply based on a relationship that God has given us through Jesus Christ, his son. Years ago, I went to India, and one of the things to do in Delhi were to visit these Hindu temples, and they are ornate and beautiful, and my wife and I were walking around, and I was looking at this one man who was praying to one of the idol gods in the Hindu temple, and he prayed, he put his money down, and he walked away bowing down in reverence to the Hindu, uh, the Hindu god, and what was happening? It was a transaction that I'm going to do good, and I'm going to give you something, and in exchange, I'm asking you to do something for me. Family, family relationships are significantly more lopsided, particularly between a parent and their children. Jesus starts his prayer by acknowledging this important fact. When we come to God, we are not coming to God with our list of accomplishments. We are not coming to God with all the things that we have done, our performances. We're coming to God as our father who accepts us and loves us, not because of what we have done for him, but who we are to him. Scripture writers have talked about this. Uh, uh, the, the writer John talks about this in, in 1 John where he is writing these words and he gets excited. He says, oh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. And that is what we are. So the prayer starts by accepting us as God's children. And for everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, you are accepted as God's child, not because of what you have done, but because of what God has done. Now, the second part of this prayer, which I think is particularly important for us in this moment, comes where Jesus says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this line right here packs so much, and I don't want us to miss what Jesus is saying in these words. Essentially, what Jesus is telling us to do is for us to surrender our will. Jesus is saying that God has a kingdom, which basically means God has a way of things. And we are praying that God's way of life would be manifested in our life. Not just that, but Jesus is also telling us to say, God, not my will be done, that I have a preferred way and method for things to be done. And I am surrendering that and I'm laying that down for your will to be done, not just in our world, but also in my life. One thing that I struggle with is sometimes I'm a hypocrite. I want God's will to be done in our world, but not in my life. I still want to do things the way that I want to do them. So Jesus tells us, Father, to pray these, to pray these words, to say, not my, not my will, but your will be done. 
Now, this means a number of things to truly surrender yourself to God. It means following God's lead without knowing where he's taking you. It also means waiting for God's timing without knowing when something will happen. This is what it means when we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And it also means trusting God's purposes without fully understanding their circumstances. When we pray these things, we're actually submitting our will to God. Now, certainly this is not an easy thing for me uh, because I have a will that makes sense to me. My will sounds good to me. It makes perfect sense. And Jesus reminds us of our finite nature, of our inability to truly understand what's coming ahead or what should be done and invites us into a place of prayerful dependence where we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. There's a, a famous quote by an old theologian where he talks about what it means to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And here's what he says. Here is his paraphrased version of it. He says, God, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me whatever you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all and I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. For I love you, Lord, and so want to give myself to you, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. Amen and amen. The problem with praying your will be done is that my will and Jesus's will are often two very different things. One thing that Jessica said last week in her sermon that stuck out so much to me and so many other people were that a lot of times we don't want God to be our shepherd, which is our leader and our, our guider and our sustainer. We kind of want him just to be a consultant. We want Jesus to stand on the sidelines of our lives and point out a couple of things that are areas of improvement, but we ultimately want to maintain the control and the direction of our life. And here in this prayer, Jesus is telling us to pray these words, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. Not you as a consultant, but you as my savior and my Lord. Now, the next line that Jesus teaches us to pray in this prayer is uh, words of prayerful dependence, where Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Now, this was a very powerful me uh, metaphor because this concept of bread was God's provision for God's people. In the book of Exodus, God provided every single day for his people to have food uh, by giving them manna from heaven. And what Jesus is talking about here is that God provides for his people. And here's why this is so important for us in this moment. I don't know if this has happened to you, but in these past number of weeks, I've woken up so many mornings feeling empty, feeling like I, I couldn't go further another day, feeling burnt out, feeling down. And words like this are meant to refuel us. So that God himself provides us with the nourishment to keep going. You are not going to find within yourself the fuel to keep going or to keep following after God. So Jesus reminds us of these words that every single day we can come to God and say, God, give us today our daily bread. Give us today what we need to survive and to thrive. Now, the reason that Jesus tells us these words is because God is willing to give us what we need. There is a story about a great king who had enormous amounts of wealth, and one of the people in his army was about to get married. 
The king told the man in the army to go talk to my treasurer and tell him how much the wedding will be and we will take care of it. The man goes and goes to the treasurer and gives him an enormous amount for the cost of the wedding. And the treasurer goes to the king and says, King, I don't know what you told him, but he has given us a crazy budget for this wedding. There's no way that you would want to pay this much for his wedding. The king turns to him and says, no, this man has done me a great honor. The treasurer looked at the king and said, how has he done you a great honor? He said, because he believes that I am both rich and generous. When Jesus invites us to pray to God to give us our daily bread, when, whenever we come to God with a petition of any kind, we do God a great honor by coming to him and saying, God, you are both rich and generous. You both have everything we could possibly need, and you are also generous towards us, that you want to give us good things. So Jesus says for us to pray, give us today our daily bread. The prayer continues where Jesus says these words, and this is a little bit of a, a turn where Jesus turns it now more inward for us. He says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, there's something about this line which teaches us what it means to both receive and to give grace. So we can come to God, that God would freely forgive us of our sins. Now, this word for forgive in the Old Testament uh, literally meant to carry away. In the Old Testament, there was something called the Day of Atonement, where a priest would take uh, a lamb and he would carry it away into the wilderness and slaughter it, and the people's sins would literally be carried away. There's a Psalm, uh, Psalm 103 and 12, where it says, as far as the east is from the west, which is infinite, so far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Here's what it means. To have placed your faith in Christ means that Christ has been our slain, sacrificed lamb that has carried away our sins from us. One of the biggest problems with this is that a lot of times we don't feel forgiven. But here's the beauty of forgiveness. You don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. Years ago, I bought a co-op in Westchester and um, I ended up having to carry a mortgage and I couldn't rent it out anymore. And every single month on the first of the month, another mortgage payment would come out, even though I wasn't living there anymore. And it was just the bane of my existence. And then one day I sold the apartment. I'll never forget what it felt like the next month to still uh, feel like I had to pay for something that I had been paying for so long. Now, even though I did not feel like the mortgage had been done and given to someone else, it was done. The same principle is true for forgiveness. You don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. Now, Jesus tells us this in this prayer, and it's so huge because to the extent that you yourself are willing to receive God's grace and are able to receive God's grace, that you will also be able and willing to extend that to other people. Most people I know that struggle with unforgiveness don't just struggle with forgiving someone else who has done them wrong. They also struggle to receive God's forgiveness for them. Sometimes it's because they're just prideful and they don't think that they have anything that needs to be forgiven from God. Other times, we're, we just don't believe that God would actually forgive us. Jesus invites us to pray these words because God himself is a forgiving God. And if we place our faith in Christ, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is vital in this moment for us to be people who not just are able to receive grace, but also give that grace to other people 
who are in need. Grace is not weak. It is the most powerful thing on the planet. So Jesus tells us to pray these words. And receiving God's forgiveness in our lives is a prerequisite for being able to forgive other people in our life. Uh, Colossians 3 says it like this. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. So today I want to end us in this Lord's Prayer that I hope you're praying throughout this week. I want it to center you. I want it to guide you. I want it to challenge you. I want it to comfort you. I want it to correct you. And I want it to direct you this week. I would love it if you would take five or 10 minutes every single morning to pray through this prayer, to come together with other people and to pray through this prayer line by line, allowing God to speak to you in these words. And I wanna end us today by praying through this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, God, you promised me that I am something to you regardless of how I'm doing today, that you are with me and you are for me and you will guide me as a parent guides their children. Your name to be honored as holy. God, you are separate and better than anything I can ever have or imagine. And God, as my father, I confess that you know better than I do. So I'm asking for your kingdom to come, your way of things, not mine. For your will to be done, not my preferences, on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I cannot do it on my own. So I'm asking you to give me my daily bread. Provide for me what I cannot provide for myself. Remind me that I am not independent, but I need you at every single turn in my life. And Father, forgive me of my sins. The things that I'd rather not people to know about me, I confess to you my inactivity and my judgmental nature of other people. And I receive, God, Jesus' works on my behalf to liberate me, and I will not trust in myself. And Lord, I forgive those who have sinned against me, and I vow to give grace because I need grace as well. Lord, lead me not into temptation to think that I can be independent or to go astray from your will. There are specific ways that I am prone to wander away from you. And God, I pray for the discernment and strength to stay the course with you. And Lord, deliver me from the evil one that would try to distract and discourage me. For yours is a power in the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen.